it's been good to be with you all this week. Um, as I said when I came Wednesday, it's, it's, it is special to be able to build a relationship. I think this is my fourth time here. I think it's Dad's 104th time here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> started dragging me along there after a while. And, and I really do appreciate it. And, and uh, there's no way for me to express... Uh, my love for this congregation and so many of the families here that I've gotten to know throughout the years uh, means so much to me and your uh, kindness to, to bring us back and your generosity in doing that. Uh, I love the Wright family. Just uh, wish I could just take them in a suitcase with me back to West Palm. Uh, it'd be, it would be great. They're, they're, they're a great family and uh, just love being with you all. We will certainly... Uh, miss you, and I do hope that maybe in the future we can we can do this again. Uh, I hope that for my part of what I've wanted to do uh, this week, that it has given you uh, another angle uh, in how you see God, and I hope it's been a, a another point of view to deepen your love for God and seeing who He is uh, and how much He cares for us. Uh, we're going to be back in Exodus one final time tonight. Exodus 34 is where we're going to be. Here in this paragraph of Exodus 34, it seems a little bit out of place. Where we left off this morning is God declaring that he is going to be with his people. Moses pleading on behalf of the people that you have to go with us, you need to be with us, and God declares his name and proving that he will be with them, that he is the Lord and that he is a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sin, iniquity and transgression, but who will by no means clear the guilty. We would expect really to move to chapter 35. Chapter 30, chapters 35 to 40 are the construction of the tabernacle. The tabernacle project is put back in place and God is going to be in the midst of the people and he will go with them uh, to the promised land. But before that temple, that tabernacle construction begins, there is this unusual little paragraph here in verse 29 of Exodus 34. So let's read what happens there. Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain... Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what, what, what he was commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses. But the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Like I said, you read that and go, 
Okay. (laughs) Interesting piece of information as we're moving on in this tabernacle scene. Well, let's get an idea of what this text is trying to communicate. And then we can get the big deal about what Paul wants us to understand in regards to that. Notice what is laid out for us is that we are given the idea that because Moses is spending time with God, speaking with him as one would speak to a friend face to face, as we'd read earlier in chapter 33, that you have then the face of Moses glowing because of the time that he is there in the presence of God. But what is particularly fascinating is that as Moses gets done speaking with God and comes out to the people, the people's reaction is fear. They take off. In fact, if you notice what it says, that in verse 31... Aaron and the leaders of the congregation return to him. So the picture is Moses comes out to the people and they all just go, we are out of here. That is frightening. And they fear the face of Moses. And Moses then has to call all the people to come back to him. Call Aaron, call the leaders, call the people to come back to him. And so the picture that is set up as a repetition is that, so what would happen is Moses would go in and speak with God, Then Moses would go before the people unveiled and speak to the people and they would behold his shining face and he would tell them all the words that God had spoken. He would proclaim the very words of God to them. And as soon as he was done proclaiming those words, then he would put the veil over his face again. So think of it this way. Every time Moses speaks the God's words to the people, face unveiled. Every time he's just going about the camp doing his normal activities, The face is veiled. That's what's being given for us here. And so the main message that Exodus wants you to see is that it was readily apparent that Moses had been with the Lord. It was obvious. It showed on his face that when he had been with the Lord. Now, it is interesting that the Apostle Paul makes a very big deal about this. (laughs) We read this here and just kind of go, well, that's particularly interesting. But the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says what happens here in Exodus is a monumental teaching point. And I'd like for you to go over to 2 Corinthians 3 and we'll spend most of our time then this evening looking at what Paul says about this event. And we will connect together what Exodus is showing, what Paul is arguing, and why that would matter to us today. Let's read then 2 Corinthians 3 verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. All right. If you have ever read this text, you have probably found what Paul says to be confusing. It is somewhat complicated what he's doing, particularly when you read the Exodus account. You have the tendency to think, well, what Paul is saying that was going on in Exodus doesn't seem to jive. 
often when we have read the the letter here that Paul writes, it sounds as if that Moses' face was fading. And sometimes we'll teach it that way. Is that Well, what was happening is that that Moses put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't see that the glory that was shining off his face was fading away. The thing that I want to caution about that is Exodus doesn't say anything to that effect. There is nothing in Exodus that says that there was any diminishing of the shining face of Moses at any point. And in fact, if you carefully read here, Paul doesn't say that either. He doesn't say that in verse 13 that the, his face shining was what was being brought to an end. We'll talk about what it was being, what was being pointed to. Instead, when we read Exodus, why did Moses put a veil on his face? Because the people were afraid. The only reason that Moses puts a veil over that face is because when the people saw him, they were uncomfortable. They ran away. They experienced fear. And so this is the problem that was what Moses dealt with is, well, I'm going to put a veil on my face to deal and ease the discomfort and the fear that the people of Israel had. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul is saying is that in verse 13, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. The point that Paul makes is that the veil over the face of Moses meant that the people of Israel could not see what the outcome, what the result was of this shining face. By looking into the face, they were supposed to understand something. They were supposed to learn something, to grasp something. But because Moses' face was face was veiled, they couldn't see what that outcome of the law was. They couldn't understand what the meaning of the shining face was. Now, this is what makes it interesting in what Paul does. Since they couldn't see the outcome... Because of Moses' veiled face, we sometimes will go, well, what was the problem then? Was it Moses and why did Moses do that? And if we know the Exodus story, we know what the problem is. The point wasn't, okay, well, Moses is trying to hide something from Israel. Why did Moses have to put the veil on his face? Because the people couldn't handle it. And notice that's exactly what Paul argues in verse 14. But their minds were hardened. Why does Moses have to put a veil on his face? Because their hearts are hardened. Because their minds are hardened. They don't look at the glory of the Lord that is shining on the face of Moses and go, that must mean something. And we need to understand what that means. Moses, why is your face shining? They see Moses' face shining and they go, we're out of here. We don't want to know anything about that. Get away from me. No interest whatsoever. Let's take off. And so to deal with their hardness, Moses puts the veil on the face. That's the point that Paul is arguing. And notice what Paul does in verse 14. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul says, The problem remains today. When the old covenant is read, when the law is given, they also don't see the outcome, the meaning, the result, the purpose of the old law. They don't see it. 
What do they just get? The surface meaning. They just get the basics. But they don't dig into the word of God in such a way to understand what is the message of the old covenant. Just as the people in Moses day did not dig in and try to figure out why is your face shining? They just said, we want to back off. This is the point that Paul is getting at and the point that the message of Exodus is getting at. The veil then represents the people's inability to grasp the point of God's revelation. That's the whole idea is here is God's law. Here is God's covenant. And Moses stands there and proclaims God's words to the people every time he's done talking to God. And all the people's response was fear and discomfort. They are unable to understand and grasp the point of what Moses is saying. And so here is the Apostle Paul saying, and so it is to this day that they also refuse to see Jesus and see the glory of the Lord in that old covenant. They can't see it when the old covenant is read. And so here I want you to think about for a minute how often Jesus went around teaching that very idea. Jesus alluded to, uh, Jesus alludes to this idea a few times. In John's Gospel, you have these statements again and again that the people do not believe. I, I would love to do a whole series on John here too. That's a, that's a really good one. Because the message of John's Gospel is, do you truly believe? There are people believing all throughout John's Gospel. But they don't really believe. When put to the test, they don't believe. In fact, John 2 sets that up, that Jesus did not entrust himself or believe in them, even though they believed in him, because he knew it was in their hearts. It's like they believe, but they don't believe with saving faith. And this is often what Jesus is pointing out in John's Gospel. Here are the signs that I'm doing, and yet you don't understand what those signs mean. You don't get what I'm trying to show you. Jesus, uh, jo- uh, Dad alluded this about Jesus in John chapter 5, where there you have the feeding of the 5,000. And in the feeding of the 5,000, everybody's very excited to be fed. And they come back to the same spot where Jesus was and he's not there the next day. And they're very upset that they have to traipse all the way to the other side of of the lake to go find him over there. Well, what are you doing over here? We came for breakfast. Why don't you stay where you're at? And Jesus just tells them to leave. I'm not here for that. You saw the sign and yet you didn't see the sign. You missed everything. And this is what Jesus is saying to them over and over again. It's what Paul is saying right here. Is yes, the law is being read, but they don't understand what it means. They're not digging in and seeing Jesus in the signs. They're not seeing Jesus in the Old Covenant. They are not seeing that the Old Covenant was had its purpose to lead to a New Covenant. They don't see any of that. They stay surface level. They stay on the very edge of things. It is important for us to get some critical changes in how we approach God's word. 
And it is important for us that when we read God's word, that we don't read it for surface level and miss the meaning. Because this is exactly what Israel did. This is what Israel is doing as Moses is talking to them. They're just afraid. They're not grasping that the glory of the Lord is shining on Moses' face. That is unbelievable. And they don't even register that. All they register is fear. Jesus goes around doing miracles and signs. And the people don't register what that means about who he is and where he came from. They just go, ooh, that's kind of neat. Kind of cool. How about that? Water to wine. Interesting. Hmm. Fed 5,000. How about that? But they don't understand why he does that. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? Now, Paul comes along in this letter to the Corinthians and says, it still happened in that day and time that here the law of Moses is being read and nobody's trying to understand what does this mean? What is it pointing to? What is it trying to show? Just surface level. And that is just so easy for us to do. It is so easy for us to do the exact same thing. I think dad brought out, didn't you bring out the book of Acts? How many times have we brought out the book of Acts? And we study the book of Acts in terms of geography. Well, he went here and he went here and he went here. There's your history. That's why God gave you Acts, so that you can know where Paul went all over the place. Really? And yet, I've seen it that way all my life. Was taught that way all my life. As a kid in the Bible classes, all my life. Let's memorize the journeys of Paul. As if that was the point. And yet, so often, that's what we do. We read Genesis through Deuteronomy like they are history books. It's just simply telling you, well, here's what happened. Just so you know that you have the information, just want to make sure you have it. Here's your narrative. We must never read God's word as if what God is trying to do is merely give you some academic information. You know, there's going to be a test and you need to memorize all of those three journeys where Paul went. And then then you'll pass the test and go on into heaven. You know, you'll be right there in the pearly gates. We're all going to be there. It's not why God does it. And yet so often we read God's word as if it's just information. Oh, okay, isn't that interesting? Oh, Jesus did a miracle. How about that? Oh, Jesus told another parable. Sounds like some of the other ones. How about some of those short parables? The kingdom of heaven is going to be like a mustard seed. Well, you know, mustard seeds kind of grow fast. Okay, got that one next. That's all he meant. But so often that's what we do is we just oversimplify as if all that is happening here is just simple pieces of boring information that we need to collect together. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do Exodus with you. Because Exodus is one of those books, like I started and I said, that's where Bible reading goes to die, right? Right In that section that we just went through, we kind of get in there and go, ooh, okay, tabernacle, and ooh. And I wanted you to see, it's pretty glorious in there too. If we read it, with a lens that is not just merely information, but that God is trying to show us who he is. We cannot read God's word trying to find the rules. You know, what's the rule I need to know? Just tell me what I need to know. Sometimes we boil down Bible classes like that. You know, just just tell me what I need to know. 
Or I cannot tell you how many Bible classes I've sat in growing up. And thankfully, I've got our congregation to quit doing it. So I know it's a visitor in town when it happens. <laughs> and they'll be like, we're studying something. Yeah, that verse really tells those Catholics how they're doing something wrong. Yeah, that's why God wrote that. That, that He had in mind that right there. That's exactly was the primary message right there. You nailed it. That's not what the primary message was. We might learn something off of that, but that's not why it's there. That's not what God is communicating. It's not what He's teaching about Himself. And yet so often that's what we do is we'll use some text and we'll beat some other religious group over the head with it as if that's what that was there for. We use it as if it's a bunch of rules. Find the issue. Oh, that teaches them something. That shows how they're wrong. It's not why the Bible is there. The Bible is not written as if it's a bunch of topics. Everybody turn to the letter B and we're going to study baptism today in your Bibles. It's not a topical book. You don't have a topical Bible, even though some guy did make one. (laughs) That's not helpful. Uh, That's not why God did that. And then sometimes how we know the Bible is just simply by creedal facts, right? Why does Acts 2 exist? Because all we know in Acts 2 is baptism, right? I repent and be baptized. Don't know anything else about the book of Acts or chapter 2 or any of that. But I do know that. What's the one thing you know out of Ephesians? Well, it says no mechanical instruments. Yep, that was the message of Ephesians. But we do that. We boil down these beautiful letters and prophecies and teachings and gospels and stories into these very basic, well, here's what I need to know. Repent, confess, be baptized. That's all I need to know, right? As, you know, this would be so much smaller. Yeah, the rest of this must be filler. It's not that. And so often we just don't read for meaning. What is God saying about himself? What is he showing by how he deals with these people? By what he says to them? With these kinds of things that he teaches to these people and what he tells them and what he does right there and look at him come down the mountain like that and look at all the things that are going on. It's just not a bunch of random important verses. I grew up that way while growing up in the pews as well, right? I remember I had a three-ring clip. I guess it was a single-ring clip with a bunch of wires in it. And it had all of these memory verses. You know, and it kind of boils down. Well, here's what you need to remember. I had to memorize Acts 2.38, probably Mark 16.16, 16, maybe Romans 10.18. Matthew 16, 18 for sure. <laughs> Here's the ones you got to know. The rest of the Bible, you know, take it or leave it, but make sure you know these. As if it's just a bunch of random verses that we go through plucking. This is how we miss it. This is how we miss what God is doing is we don't see the beauty of the scriptures. We fail to see the beauty of God because unfortunately what we have done is we have turned the word of God into essentially a bunch of proof texts that validate where we stand in the scriptures. We're right and they're wrong and here's the verse that shows why. Dan and I both got an email talking about asking, you know, how do you typically preach and why? And I said, I typically preach through books of the Bible expositionally, verse by verse, all the way through. You, you guys are lucky. I preached at West Palm Beach. I preached verse by verse through Isaiah all the way. And I said, why do I do that? 
Well, for a lot of reasons. But one in particular is that's the way God revealed it. If the only important thing was Isaiah 53, then he would have just given Isaiah 53. You know, well, that's the one we know. All the, you know, the other 64, 65 chapters. Hey. But that one, that's important. I was blown away by getting to do that in that study. You know, when we study the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts and it says that they turned to Isaiah and he was teaching him Jesus and we presume that he must have been Isaiah 53. Almost every chapter speaks of Jesus in Isaiah. Almost every chapter is pointing to him in some way. And I've never seen that before because I've never had the courage to go from chapter 1 to 66. I was afraid. It's like, this is going to be hard and complicated. And it was awesome. And I encourage us to read, to know what books say. We know baptism. We know these various topics. But do we know what the book of Ephesians is about? Why it was written? Do we know what Philippians is about? Do we know the book of Habakkuk? Let's read for meaning. And let's read to see God. Let's read to see who he is in the process of reading this. What is God telling us about him? And one of the things that is amazing is that over and over again, God is saying, you know how you can see me the clearest is by looking at Jesus. He is the reflection of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his very being. That's how Hebrews opens. When you look at Jesus... You are seeing what you need to see about God. And notice that's where Paul goes with this in 2 Corinthians 3. Notice verse 18. Notice what it says here. And we all with unveiled faces. Now just stop and be blown away by that coming out of Exodus. What does it mean if your face is unveiled? When Moses was doing it. He's seeing God. He's talking to God and then talking to the people. That's when the face was unveiled. We all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What a stunning statement. You and I have the revelation of God. And it transforms us. As we look into the word of God, we have unveiled faces because we are beholding the glory of God. And it is transforming our hearts. It's changing us from one degree of glory to another. I love verse 18. This is how we are transformed into that same image. We are to be as God has called us to be. The songs that we sing this morning talked about, oh, to be like him. Well, how does that happen? By staring into the word of God with an unveiled face and reading it for its meaning and seeing God in the text, you will be transformed. And what I'm excited about is I think almost every night you all have said that to me in studying Exodus. We have seen God and it's changing me. And there are 65 other books that do the exact same thing. They all do it. If we will read it to see God. 
In fact, that's why Moses' face was shining, according to Exodus. It says because he'd been talking with God. And you know what we are doing right here? We're talking with God. This is a conversation between us and God. And God is saying, here it is. And we with unveiled faces are just soaking all that in. And it's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Now let me push this even one point further forward. Read to find the meaning. Read to see God. And read to show the world Jesus. Notice what this paragraph begins with. If we go back to verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses. Think about the Exodus scene. Why does Moses put a veil on his face? Because the people are uncomfortable with the shining face of Moses. Paul turns around and says, that's not us. We are not veiling our faces. We stare into the glory of God as revealed to us in his word. And we are very bold, not like Moses, so that we will have unveiled faces for the world to see. How are you and I to be lights in the world? You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How? Because you stare into the word of God. And you are beholding the glory of God. And as you behold the glory of God, it is transforming you from one degree of glory to another into the same image of Him. So that as you go out into the world with an unveiled face, people are seeing the glory of God in you. That's why Paul says, we're bold, not like Moses. Which as Dad pointed out, what does then Paul describe all throughout 2 Corinthians? How badly it went for him because he went around with an unveiled face showing the glory of God. He suffered for that. That's what we're called to do. Is we are called to go out there to show people, here's the glory of God. Why so often we miss these critical concepts of what the scriptures are here for and what it's trying to teach us. You have back there the, the Jesus telling those, those uh, Pharisees and those scribes and those religious leaders. You think that you have eternal life by looking into the scriptures. And I've always read that in chapter 5 and thought, well, don't you? Where else am I going to find eternal life but by reading the scriptures? Well, what were they doing? Well, they knew the scriptures. They knew them backward and forward. They knew all the passages. They quoted them to Jesus all the time. But they never saw God in them. They weren't beholding the glory of God. And that's why Jesus continues to say, you would have seen me in that. I love in John's gospel, if you knew Moses, you'd know me. If you knew Moses, you think about, well, where's Jesus and Moses? Well, hopefully we've seen it every night this week. You see Jesus and Moses all the time. That's the message that's being communicated. Let me give you another idea then. 
what then Paul shows us is we become what we behold. If we are staring into the scriptures and we are beholding the glory of God, then that's how we are transformed to become into that same image as him. And what this Paul is giving us is that we become what we behold. And Jesus himself said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. What you treasure, what you desire, what you stare at, what you focus on, what you care about is what you are transformed into. And I would just ask as I end my time here with you, is to take an important inventory of yourself and just ask, what are you beholding on a daily basis? What do you value? What do you treasure? What do you spend your time in? If we spend our time beholding the television the most, then we're being transformed into the things that are taught us on television. If we spend our time beholding the news, then we are being transformed into the things that are taught to us on the news. If we spend our time being transformed into the books we read or the movies we watch or the things and the music we listen to, if that's what we're beholding, if that's what our hearts are open to, we are being transformed into that. There is only one way to be transformed into the image of God and to behold the glory of God and show the world the glory of God as lights. And that's by reading the scriptures for meaning, reading the scriptures to see God, and reading the scriptures to show Jesus to the world. I love you guys. Thank you very much. We'll take a five-minute break.